Well, we've made it to the last week of our series, Walking Through the Lord's Prayer. And it's been, this is week seven, so we've gone kind of slowly and deliberately, not quite word by word, but like five words by five words. And I hope uh, that it's been really encouraging. I, I, I hope that it's been challenging to you as well. Uh, I know for myself, uh, the Lord's Prayer is one that, you know, I've heard for years and years and years. And, and when we have familiarity with something, sometimes it's easy to just sort of, uh, eyes kind of gloss over and you, you go through the words and not right go through the motions, but almost, right? So I, I hope that it's been beneficial to, to stop line by line and say, no, here's, here's what we're actually saying when we pray mm-hmm. this prayer. This morning, we come to the last petition or the last ask of the prayer. Let me read it for us. It's Matthew 6, 13, if you want to open up there in your Bibles. Jesus teaches us to pray, and do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now this verse, it sounds like two parts or or two different things, but it's best understood as two parts of the same ask. And it's interesting, it's not just the the sixth petition of the prayer. Remember, we've we've walked through this thing, we opened with saying the the first line is just the address, like saying, dear God, sort of thing. And it's it's setting our minds on, on who God is as our Father, and then we get into these six asks. And this is number six, as I mentioned. But it's not just the six, it's actually the third of the final three, which may be obvious, but I'm going to say that anyways. Because remember, we said the prayer consists of two parts of three as well. Those first three asks are all about asking for God's glory, right? Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. None of that is about me or you. That's all about asking that God's will would be done. And then we come to the second set of three, which is all about asking for God's grace towards us and then for our good. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. And lead us not into temptation. And you can almost see a a Trinitarian structure. You can kind of see the Trinity in these three asks for our good. We see God the Father is the creator and the one who provides for us and gives us our daily bread. And we have God the Son, the one who, who, because of his work on the cross, his atonement, we can have forgiveness. And we can then pray, forgive us, relieve us of our debts. And then God the Spirit leads us and fills us with power to have and lead a holy life. And so we've come through these last three requests asking that God would daily, we've said that, that, that give us this day our daily bread isn't just for that one, but it extends into the next and to the next. And so we, we pray daily that God would provide all that we need. And then that daily God would help us to forgive others and also forgive us. And yet, just because we have the ability to come before God and ask for forgiveness in Jesus' name, that doesn't mean we can take sin lightly. Ah, God's a forgiving God. If I say forgive me, he has to forgive me, so I'm just going to do this thing and I can just clean up after, right? No, we're, we're, we are sons and daughters of the king and we're striving to please our heavenly father who loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for our sins, to forgive the debts from our sins uh, because we owe a price. And once we repent, once we turn and surrender our lives to Jesus and are set free from those things, uh, we want to, as, as John would later write in 1 John, we want to walk in the light as he is in the light. 
We want to please our Heavenly Father. And so the entirety of this prayer uh, teaches us not just how to pray, but it also teaches us about ourselves. And these last three requests remind us of three things that every human needs. And a bit of a hat tip here to Kevin DeYoung, as I have uh, given many times through this series. Every human needs three things, provision, pardon, and protection. We need our stomachs to be filled, our sins to be forgiven, and evil to be fought. Provision, pardon, protection. So let's jump into this last one. It may seem pretty straightforward, lead us not into temptation, but what do we mean when we're asking for this? Well, the Bible talks about three different times, uh, three different types, excuse me, of temptation. Sometimes the Bible portrays temptations as, as trials or testing. Uh, and it's important to say that, that going through trials or, or going through hard times is not in and of itself sinful. Sometimes you think, wow, I'm, I'm struggling, I must be sinning. That's not necessarily the case. But sometimes going through trials can tempt us to doubt God, which Ron's going to talk about next week a little bit. And sometimes going through trials and temptation can, can lead us to compromise with the world, saying something like, surely God doesn't still mean that. It's 2024. And sometimes going through trials can lead us to give up on our faith altogether. The, the deconstruction movement is, is vast. But James 1, 2 says, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. And the word that James uses there when he uh, exhorts us to that is the same word, the same verb used as tempted or tempts later in verse 13 of James 1 there. And so temptation, one thing the Bible can be talking about when we say temptation, it can refer broadly to some kind of suffering or trials or tribulations that we are called to endure. Other times, the Bible talks of temptations as enticements to sin, okay? Things that entice us or try to draw us into sin. These things come from outside of us. They're they're external. Think about, and we're going to kind of hop back and forth to Matthew 4, as well. Think about Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, which is recorded for us at the beginning of Matthew 4. Now, he didn't have the same human sin nature that we do, but he was tempted in every way that we were, but never sinned, right? He was tempted to shortcut God's plan. He was promised worldly riches and power and provision. These are the enticements. This is the kind of thing that, that he experienced, and similarly, you and I can be tempted by things outside of us, those, those same worldly lies and promises. The third way that the Bible talks about sin often is temptations that come from within. Now, these are the, the, the allurements, if you will, that come from our own sinful self, our own human nature, that, that fallen bit that Jesus came to uh, redeem. Uh, James 1.14 says, But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own or her own evil desire. Now these are the ones that Jesus was not familiar with because he doesn't have that, that sinful inner nature like we do. He had no sinful lusts. He had no misplaced desires of his heart. So what 
if these are the three kinds of temptations that the Bible talks about, what does it mean when we pray, lead us not into temptation? Well, it can't be, hear me, it can't be that we're asking God not to entice us to sin. Back to James chapter 1 and verse 13, James writes, No one undergoing a trial can say, I'm being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. See, it would be inconsistent with God's character that he would ever present something sinful to us and to entice us towards sin. God doesn't set traps for us. I need to be clear on that. DeYoung says, uh, note the Lord prayer doesn't say, Father, do not tempt me. That's a wholly unnecessary prayer. Rather, it says, do not lead me into temptation. That means don't allow me to be near the allure of sin. Don't bring me near to the devil. Don't permit me to be in a situation where the enticement to sin will be greater than I can bear. Do you hear the difference? It's a, a, God, guard me. We can look again at Jesus' temptation in the wilderness that's recorded at Matthew 4, and we can see some clarity here. Matthew 4, 1, it says that, that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Now, Jesus is different than you and I. We're not him. He's not us. Jesus came, and he did have a mission to fulfill. So he came to succeed where our first parents, Adam and Eve, failed. He came to stand up to the temptation. He came to prove faithful in the wilderness where the nation of Israel had shown themselves not faithful. Jesus was the true and better everything that was foreshadowed for us in the Old Testament. Now that doesn't mean that God doesn't put trials in front of us, because he does. When we're praying for this, we're not praying for a life without suffering or a life of just ease and comfort. That's not anywhere in the Bible to ask for that. But we are praying for a life set apart from sin. That's kind of how these two parts in the verse tie together. Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so we're praying for spiritual protection. One writer sums it up this way. It's it's asking, God, keep me out of the path of sin and keep me safe from the devil's snares. Another, John Stott says this, behind these words that Jesus gives us to pray are the implications that the devil is too strong for us don't play games with him, and that we are too weak to stand up to him, but our heavenly Father will deliver us if we call on him. So there's a lot that we're asking for when we're praying these 10 or so words. We're saying, God, I I hate sin. I don't want to sin. We're saying, God, I'm, I'm weak. I need you. I need your power to help me overcome this. We're asking, God, I trust you when you say that you'll never leave or forsake me, and so I, I, I believe you're with me right now. We're saying, God, I need your spirit to be my strength and my shield. And we're saying, God, I need you to be my refuge, my rock, my rescue, because I'm not strong enough on my own. And I don't know about you, but this is something that I've always struggled with, is to ask for help. That's 
partly North American culture, right? Like, especially our neighbors to the south, maybe, who, who broke away from England and said, ah, oh, we don't need no king, we don't need no queen, we'll, we'll do it ourselves, right? It's, it's ingrained in our culture that, that we should be all that we can be. Our, our highest goal is autonomy and self-reliance and independence and not needing nothing from nobody. And this can bleed into my, maybe our, I won't speak for you, but it can bleed into my prayer life. So instead of saying, God, I need you, I, uh, I need this, it's, it's, it can become something more like, it's okay, God, I know it's not good, I can handle it, let me prove myself. That's like vastly different, isn't it? Or we can think, you know, God's a big God, There's seven billion people creeping up on eight billion people, maybe he's too busy, he's got bigger issues somewhere else. Or our, our humanity can bleed into our prayer life and we think, if I have to ask God again for this thing, he's just going to be upset, he's going to be frustrated, and so maybe I just won't ask, right? But remember who we're talking to when we pray. What are the first two words of the Lord's Prayer? Our Father. We talked about this a bit last week. We're not praying to God the judge This is the family prayer. We're praying to God, our Father. And I know good and well that none of us have perfect fathers. And guys, I'm sorry, none of us are perfect fathers. Ladies, sorry, you're not perfect mothers either. I think we all know this, right? But but remember what Jesus would teach just a little bit later in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. He says, Who among you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? right? You guys know you're imperfect, but you know how to treat your kids well, he's saying. And on my good days, let alone the days where I'm actually the parent I think that I want to be and want to be for my kids, it doesn't matter how many times my son or daughter comes to me and says, Daddy, can you help? Daddy, can you sit next to me? I'm, I'm a little nervous. Daddy, can you hold me so I don't fall off of this thing? Daddy, stay close in the crowd. Last night, there was a big crowd that left the Anglican church all at once, and one of my kids grabbed my hand so they wouldn't get lost in the crowd. What's my answer to all of those? Of course I will. Of course I will help you. Of course I will be here. Of course I'll hold you. To paraphrase a little bit, that Matthew 7 verse, I will do everything I can do to be that dad for my kids. And if that's the case, how much more will God be the one who guides and guards and protects them and protects me and protects us? So take it to him. Well, what kind of temptations are we bound to face? Let's name them so that we can address them and guard against them. Again, it's helpful to turn back to Matthew 4 and look at Jesus' temptation in the wilderness because the thing is, uh, the evil one, our enemy, isn't that creative. Crafty, yes. Creative, not really. And so the things that Jesus was tempted with are probably going to be the same sort of things that you and I are going to be tempted with. And if we read that passage, if you open up in front of you, Matthew 4, uh, about 1 to 11 or so is a, is a story, you'll see that, that Jesus was tempted in the wilderness basically with three things. Pleasure, pride, and power. Pleasure, pride, power. 
Let's look at pleasure first. The chapter opens and tells us that Jesus had been fasting for, for 40 days and night. He is in kind of deep prayer, deep prayer and fasting with his father, and he was hungry. And the evil one came, and here's the temptation. Hey, Jesus, you're hungry. I, I get it. 40 days is a long time. But aren't you also God? You're in the desert. Look, there's a stone right there. Like, snap your fingers, make it bread, eat. Done, right? Now, not all pleasure is sinful. We've got to say that too. And not all eating is sinful either. Got to say that too. Later in verse 11, elsewhere in the Bible, we see God providing food, right? But the question became, would Jesus listen to the evil one? Would Jesus listen to the devil? Would Jesus step up and prove himself on the devil's terms? Yeah, I can do that. Watch. Ultimately, did Jesus love God more than food in that moment? But he fought back against that temptation, didn't he? Remember how he answered in verse 4? It's written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the Father. In other words, my Father's going to sustain me. Yeah, I'm hungry, but you know what? We're in a good spot right now. My Father's going to look after me. My Father is with me. Some other texts from the Psalms that we can kind of remember when we're faced with temptation for worldly pleasure. Psalm 84.10, Better is one day in your courts, God, than thousands elsewhere. Anything this world can offer, one moment in your presence, God, is better than it could ever be. Psalm 63, 3 and 5, Psalm says, My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. Verse 5, You satisfy me as with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Psalm 73, uh, 25 and 26, Who do I have in heaven but you? There, I, I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So often, so often, we're tempted with immediate pleasure that contradicts what our Heavenly Father wants for us. And I think it's safe to say that every time we indulge those lusts, let's call them what they are, the results for us are disastrous, whether you see it in the moment or in days, weeks, months, and years to come. And those things, those earthly pleasures, they might look good now, but what our Heavenly Father has for us is so much better. The second temptation in the wilderness for Jesus is the one of pride. Again, it's to prove himself. The evil one comes and says, hey, Jesus, just put on a little show. Go to the temple, busiest spot in town. Stand on top. Fling yourself off the temple and command the angels to catch you. You know they will. It's important to note here that Satan quotes but twists scripture. Yeah, the evil one knows the scriptures too. The, the, the text that he quotes comes from Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12. He, he twists a text of promise into an opportunity for pride. Right? Jesus could have said, you know what? Maybe let's do that. I could show a lot of people who I am. Let's, let's just get on with the story here. Now, it wouldn't have been wrong for Jesus to demonstrate his power. He did that many times later, right? And it wouldn't have been wrong for Jesus to, to reveal his glory. He did that later as well. But, God isn't our genie. 
God isn't a circus act. God isn't there to perform tricks for us. And so Jesus' response in verse 7 quotes back in Deuteronomy 6, where he says, do not test the Lord your God. See, God doesn't need to prove himself to us by jumping when you and I say jump. He's God. The final temptation is uh, about power. The devil proposes a shortcut to glory. He comes to Jesus in this moment of of hunger and uh, no doubt some weakness, physical weakness there as well, and says, just turn and worship me and I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. You want to rule this earth? No problem. I can snap my fingers. It's all yours. Now, after the resurrection, Jesus would say, remember what he says at the end of Matthew in the Great Commission? All authority, where? In heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus did end up with this rule, with, the, with all these kingdoms, but the temptation was to shortcut the process. How many times are we tempted with the easy way out? Here's a way to get what you want without struggle, without sin, without pain, without trial. Just, you know, maybe it's a little bit unethical, but hey. But Jesus saw through that, wor- that shortcut and verse 10 says, you don't know, we worship the Lord your God and serve only him. He's saying no shortcuts. God's plan is best, even when it's hard, even when I'm not totally sure I see the point of headed this way, uh, even, that, even when it seems that there might be an easier way, our Father knows what's best and we trust him. Jesus knew that, that God's ends, the, the, the things that God wants, have to be accomplished by his means, the way he wants it accomplished. It's not just about getting a task accomplished, it's about doing it God's way. Pleasure, power, pride. Now, I I did allude to this a little bit earlier, but you can make a pretty strong case that that these three temptations are the same tricks the devil's been using right since the very beginning and is using right up until today. If we flip back to the beginning of our Bibles, Genesis chapter 3, remember the original sin? Remember what the devil said? Did God really say that? Now, if you, if you eat, you will be like God. Your eyes will be opened. You'll know good from evil. You'll be wise. God's just trying to hold something back from you, right? Genesis 3, 6, And the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable to obtain wisdom. She took some of its fruit and ate it and gave some to her husband, who was with her, not off the hook, and he also ate. See, in that moment, they took the shortcut, right? They wanted God's blessing, but on their own terms. They, they wanted something that looked beautiful and good, but something God had warned them against. They decided that, that they knew what was right and best. And they decided they wanted the power to decide good and evil. And they wanted the influence that comes from having the wisdom of God. Pleasure, power, pride. Later in the New Testament, back in 1 John chapter 2, again, we, we hear echoes of the same thing. John writes, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possession is not from the Father, but is from the world. 
See, the world and the evil one will promise us everything. He'll, he'll tempt us to put God away and do whatever we want. If it feels good, good, do it. If it looks good, chase after it. The world will promise us everything, but cannot keep that promise. So, when we're tempted, you can bet it's going to be basically with one of these three things. So where's your weakness? Is it pleasure? Is it looking for things that might feel good, look good, taste good? Are you, you willing to, to sacrifice and just try to uh, lean into a life of ease and comfort? Is it maybe a recognition and, 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 and having people know who you are and know your name and the, the power and influence that might come with that? You want people to know you. You want to be on the top of the leaderboards. You want to be on the front page of the newspaper. You want to have the most likes and follows on social. Or is it power, trying to claw and scratch to get yourself to the top of the pile in whatever space you're in? Which might it be for you? And this can shift, right? You can have more than one. Some seasons it might be one. Some seasons it might be another. Some seasons it might be two. Some seasons it might be all three. But I love how Paul later writes in a couple of spots in his letters in the New Testament, we're not unaware of these things. We're not ignorant of the devil's schemes. He may be crafty, but he's not that creative. The last thing I do want to say about this specific prayer is this. We are living in the midst of a spiritual war. There's danger within, with our own sin natures, and there's danger without. There is sin around us. But this prayer is a cry for help and strength and protection. And we need the Father's guidance. We need the Savior's work. Because of Jesus' work, we, we can repent and turn. And, and, and as we sang, the one who is in us is stronger than the one in the world, is greater than the one in the world. We need the Father's guidance, we need the Savior's work, and we need the Spirit's strength in order to have victory. One writer, Charles Quarles, says this, the disciple is so weak that he is no match for the devil. He needs a savior, not an assistant. He needs a hero, not a helper. He needs a champion who will fight the evil one for him and who will snatch him from the clutches of the enemy who seeks to steal and kill and destroy. This is the, the reality of the battle we're in, the battle that Jesus has won, but the battle that is still raging in the world. Our enemy wants to discourage us and defile us and devour us and defeat us. Without the guidance of our Father in heaven, we don't stand a chance. And so we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. As we wrap up this morning and just before the team comes, and as we wrap up this series, I just want to share... Uh, from Andrew Murray. He was a pastor in the late 19th century, early 20th century. And over the course of, course of his ministry, he wrote more than 240 books. No, I don't have them all. But one of the ones he was most, one of the things he was most known for was being a man of prayer. And one of his best known works uh, that, I, that I appreciate and is on my read again and again list is called uh, Absolute Surrender. But maybe his best-known writing is one called With Christ in the School of Prayer. And in that one, he has a, a powerful word for us in the form of a prayer, and it serves as a great conclusion to this study 
on the Lord's Prayer or the Model Prayer. Let me read it for us. It'll be on the screen for you to follow along. You can pray along well if you like. Lord Jesus, enroll my name among those who confess that they don't know how to pray as they should and who especially ask you for a course of teaching in prayer. And Lord, be patient with me in your school so that you will have time to train me I'm ignorant of the wonderful privilege and power of prayer. Lead me to forget my thoughts of what I think I know and make me kneel before you in true teachableness and poverty of spirit. Fill me, Lord, with the confidence that you, uh, with confidence that you, my teacher, and I will learn to pray. Blessed Lord, I know that you won't put the student to shame who trusts you, and with your grace, that student won't shame you either. Amen. Team, will you come?